Hey. <laughs> Welcome bet, back, creeps. I bet that sounds funny. Like if you were to leave that in and like someone's listening with the headphones, you're like, hey. And I, I hope if someone turned around <laughs> to see who was calling them, I hope you let us know. All right. <laughs> Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hope you enjoyed that little uh, false start that we did. Just warming up. Yeah. Oh, I need to go to Aldi's. Yeah, I'm having. I'm having a good day. How are you? I didn't ask, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Um, you know, just chilling. About to go get something nice to eat. Sick. After this, Ooh. don't forget. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Straight to business. Okay. Let's do our patron, it. Our, our shout out this week, because our, our Patreon is still on pause, but so I did want to just give a big shout out to Domina because she's been a huge support and we really appreciate you, Domina. I never actually gave her a shout out before. Anyway, what's new this week? Anything exciting happen? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us. I learned how to edit videos. Hell Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so jazzed about it that I was just rearing to record two more, which I've done, and now I'm excited to edit those. It's fun, right? It is. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't really do anything this week. I bought an emergency towel. That was about the highlight of the week. <laughs> trying to kit my car out for like zombie invasions. That kind of sounds like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, apparently, if you're traveling the galaxy, that guide is, like, a good thing to read. And one of the things that they say that is extremely important for you to have is a towel. See? I didn't even read that book, but I'm already clued in. <laughs> no, I'm legit. I'm actually kind of getting a bit obsessive about it now. But, like, underneath my boot, my boot liner, my trunk liner... It's just a, a wealth of things that might never be used, but could come in handy. Anyway, let's get back to business. The Enfield Haunting Part 2. Part de. Part de. Let's see how long this goes on for. I feel like I'm in way over my head with this one. <laughs> it's because, like, so the regular ones that we do are the ones that we've done in the past. When I'm like, oh, shit, this is way more information than I thought. This it has so much fucking information <laughs> and it's all one. too good. I'm like, yeah. I have cut like major chunks. I've cut whole chapters out like when I'm re-going over to do my notes. And I still, I'm like, what the fuck? So anyway, we left off last week with the Hodgson family and Guy Lyon Playfair, the author of This House is Haunted, <laughs> coming to possibly... Coming to the possibly premature conclusion that whatever it was that was in the house bothering them was the spirit of a little girl. Regular Peggy, the mom, was starting to oddly predict what the entity was going to do. And Janet, the 11-year-old, was getting more frustrated than scared with all the noise and dramatics that was going on. Guy asked Graham, the photographer. Sorry, I'm going to try and like reintroduce everyone as, as you go along. 
But Guy asked Graham, the photographer, to phone every video equipment business he could and try and get a hold of someone, like anybody, basically, who was willing to come out and use their fancy equipment for free. For free. And luckily enough, the next day, they had a fully decked out ghost hunting crew with very early low light cameras. Like the works. Hmm. The crew put all the equipment together and tested it out and everything was working until the activity started. And then nothing would work. So typical of a ghost or a haunting situation. Like as soon as you bring in any sort of anything when you want it to work, it doesn't. But with this, they found that the problem was something had been physically broken inside one of the pieces of equipment. Whatever it was required a lot of force to have been broken and wasn't something that could have just been like broken on a whim. Yeah. Anyway... This would be the same for almost any piece of equipment that was brought into the house from this point on. Any high-tech, quote-unquote, equipment. And at this point in the story, the activity is at full swing. Full swing for this point of the story. It seems to get, like, more and more mental with every passing day. And I will be glancing over a lot of it, like I was saying. Like, I had to leave an awful lot out. But for an example... Here are Peggy's notes from September 25th, 1977. Janet and I woke up. We waited a moment before we got up. We thought we heard soft footsteps. All at once, the small chair by the bed jumped once. Then, as I got out of bed, it jumped again. Time, 6.45am. As I went out of the bedroom, Janet followed. The big chest of drawers jumped, then went right over on its side. 6.50 We came downstairs, all of us. Janet was in front room alone. Cushion jumps off red chair near glass cabinet. Seven. Next, small TV table in corner. Turns over with things on top onto floor. 7.05. Janet alone in room. Big red chair in far corner turns over. Janet walks through kitchen to go to toilet. Kitchen chair jumps on floor. Me in front room. 8.40 a.m. So... Fire, good. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of that. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's just, it's a lot, right? It's a lot to take in. But later on that day, the Hodgson clan were at the Burkham's house for some peace and quiet. But when Sylvie was making tea in her kitchen, a piece of a child's toy just appeared in front of her. She screamed, and when she looked down, it just jumped of its own accord. Like, just to say, like, yeah, I am here. Like, fuck you. And... So it meant that the activity was now following them. John and Sylvie Burkham were Peggy's brother and sister-in-law, so the kids' auntie and uncle. And John had looked after Peggy and helped where he could after her husband left. But he still didn't actually believe that this was ghosts until he started experiencing things for himself. Okay. Furniture moving around, an unseen force stopping him from closing his bedroom door. And finally... One day, as he stood at the bottom of the staircase in the Hodgson household, he witnessed something very peculiar. Mm. Quote, I saw this light. It was the equivalent of 12 inches vertical. It looked like a fluorescent light behind frosted glass, which burned fiercely and gradually faded away. I was bloody petrified. I'd never seen anything like it, and the feeling I had was of fear. Like there was somebody standing right by me and watching. I've never known such a feeling in my life. He also wasn't the only one who had seen something strange that day. Not long before this incident, 
Peggy next door's husband, Vic, was walking back from his garden shed and saw what looked like an old lady with grey hair in one of the windows. When he met regular Peggy that afternoon, she described the very same apparition, only she had witnessed it through the front window and had no idea that Vic had also seen the same thing. Mm. So what I found really cool about this case, one, like this, again, I'm really enjoying this book. But one of the things that I found that was really cool about this case is that one evening while Guy Playfair was there, the knocks started up and within seconds, both Janet and Margaret were able to discern that it was actually the kids next door playing tricks on them. Oh. They even knew that the noises this thing was capable of were unique and distinct. Mrs. Hodgson was also quite logical in the fact that whenever she would hear strange noises, she would sit there and she would be more concerned about having mice than jumping to the conclusion that it was paranormal. Hmm. She'd be like, did you hear that scratching? Mice. I knew it. Like fucking mice again. (laughs) The embarrassment of it all. This is why we don't leave shit out on the counter. (laughs) And on the 15th of October, after Peggy had gone over the day's notes with Guy, he went to have his dinner in the local pub as he did not want to come off as just a freeloader taking advantage of the situation. Mm. So he refused to let regular Peggy cook for him. (laughs) But before he left, he had managed to hide his tape recorder on top of one of the cabinets in the living room without the Hodgson's realizing. Now, he knew this wasn't exactly morally correct, but all in the name of science. He had noticed that the activity only ever really kicked off whenever he left, which, you know, was very convenient. So he was still skeptical of the whole situation. But when he got back from the pub, he had the tape and Peggy's account of what had happened. So he went into the kitchen to process everything and get everybody's point of view. Peggy's notes read, Red chair in living room overturned. Sofa overturned. Janet's toothbrush and mug shot out of her hand as she after she had... Cl- <laughs> Janet's toothbrush and mug shot out of her hand after she had cleaned her teeth. Teapot travelled from beside sink to far corner, seen by Margaret and Mrs. H. Billy hit by plastic scrubbing brush, apparently quite hard on the head. Both tables in kitchen moved, one without turning over, the other with drawer, which I don't recall moving before, went over as I came in. So the tape and notes coincided perfectly, but as Margaret was giving Guy her account, he saw Janet walking towards the kitchen and the chair she had just been sitting on slid along the carpet towards her and then flipped over backwards Mm. as she was walking away from it. Okay. So, like, there was nobody actually physically near it. Yeah. So, this was what Guy had been waiting for. Nobody could have physically done what he had just witnessed. And as he got up to go towards Janet, one of the kitchen tables just flipped over completely on its own. Now, he didn't actually see this, but again, there was nobody near it. He could see everyone. And he knew that there was nobody possibly flipping this table over. Right. And like the funny thing, like it wasn't even just like, oh, it's knocked on its side. This thing was completely upside down on the kitchen floor. Okay. Him and Morris had great fun trying to see how hard it would be just to flip this uh, heavy old table over. Mm -hmm. So. So much fun. Yeah. But I can just picture them in regular Peggy's kitchen. Just fucking our furniture. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Peggy. Yeah, like how hard do we need to hit this table for it to flip over? She's like, it's for science, I guess. Science! (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) As they were cleaning up the mess, Peggy mentioned almost past remarkably that she had gotten this weird headache right before everything kicked off. 
and that you would get this same type of headache right before the activity started anytime. Guy decided the next move was to try and communicate with this thing, and so he arranged a medium to come out and visit. The medium had been recommended by someone in the SPR, the Society for Psychical Research, as we mentioned last week. The night before the visit, however, as Janet slept, she started crying. John Burkham, Peggy's brother, was there, and he said, quote, Janet was crying in her sleep. It started off as a very slow cry. Then as time got on, it got worse. She got hysterical. She seemed to be, the nearest I can describe it, is in a trance. I got my portable radio and played it very loudly by her ear, but this had no effect on her whatsoever. So, in the book it says, in his work as a hospital head porter, John had seen doctors make use of what is known as Radio 1 therapy. That is, playing pop music from BBC Radio 1 in the ears of patients in comas. So, I don't know how fucking, like, beneficial this treatment was, but there was medical papers released on it in the 70s. Oh, shit. Yeah. Either way, the loud-ass music didn't wake her from her trance, and she didn't seem to be affected by it at all. So, Guy likened it to the early stages of previous cases that he had been on, where the individuals involved seemed to have been possessed. One thing that I really like about Guy is that he was extremely careful not to bring up such pop culture phrases and was specifically trying to avoid the whole possession exorcism thing because the Annalise Mickles case had only just happened the year before. Or at least the priests involved received their very light sentences just the year before in 1976. That's the one about that young girl who starved, like they practically starved her. Starved her to death, yeah. Yeah. So... Again, there's tons of research. The Annalise Mickles case is not a case that we will be covering, but there's so many other podcasts that have done great jobs covering it. So if you don't know it, go listen to that. Anyway, Guy was a man of science, but felt like these cases were a gray area of psychology and psychokinesis with some psychical sprinkling, melding them all together, and he wanted to find out just how it all worked. So the following day, the psychic medium and her husband showed up And she appeared to go into some sort of trance while the husband urged whatever entities were there to leave. She came out with the names Gozer and Elvie. And here's the little fun fact trivia that I'm sure everybody who has covered the Enfield haunting goes into. But apparently this is where Dan Aykroyd got the name Gozer for the movie Ghostbusters. No shit. Yeah. That and a Gozer Chevrolet dealership in upstate New York. Uh. (laughs) But yeah, Dan Aykroyd is one of us. Definitely. But when this medium came out of her trance, she did say that everything was centered around Janet and that there were multiple entities. I will say here that Janet and Peggy were the only ones of the family present. So I don't know if she would have said the same if Margaret was there as well, you know? Yeah. They then performed this very same auric healing as the guy from the People in the Attic story. Mm. If you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember... When I read that, I was like, I've never heard of this type of thing before. But it was down to a T, the very same. It was like reading the same scene, like the whole, like creating a nice egg around the people. And Mm -hmm. the whole idea was everyone has an aura. And in cases such as these, the aura is leached of power and needs to be healed. But one thing that she picked up on also was the experience with Peggy's ex-husband. So I'm like... 
I'm not saying she was a good medium or a bad medium or anything like that. She definitely knew that the family had been through some shit, though. And she believed that this had had a profound effect on everyone. And she could sense the resentment from Peggy herself. Again, going back to the fine line between mental health and haunting cases, does one lead to the other? Is one caused specifically by the other? Or is it just easier for someone to be attacked or preyed upon by these negative things when the guard is down? I don't know. Let us know what you think. That's in my notes. <laughs> Leave us comments. Seriously, though, give us your opinion on that because I have no fucking idea. But just to uh, briefly touch on Peggy's ex-husband. Whoa. He's an <laughs> <laughs> he was an arsehole. Um, he was a really horrible man. And like, even be while him and Peggy were still together and he was still living in the house, he would bring his girlfriends over. Oh my God. And like the kids were all afraid of him and stuff like that. Jesus. So I don't know, just awful. So like, it wasn't just a, a me and your dad are having a little break kind of thing. It was a horrific scenario, like yeah. even just leading up to this. Like, Anyway, regardless of whether it was psychosomatic or not, the auric healing definitely seemed to have some um, effect on the activity in the house because it definitely died down and the family got a few days of respite after this healing session and they all needed that much-deserved break. Later that week, Janet's headmaster called a meeting with Morris, Guy, two teachers, two social workers and a psychiatrist. I'm actually not sure if Peggy was there, but I'm assuming she was because... It was a meeting about Janet specifically. Like, Yeah. Anyway, Morris presented the facts and played a sample of a recording that they had taken. And when one of the social workers mentioned the family getting rehoused, they all said that this is not what they wanted or needed, which, again, was why a lot of people were assuming that Peggy had put her kids up to this in the first place. Right. I remember. Yeah. And we've heard of that in other cases as well. Mm hmm. I'll also say that the two social workers were definitely on the side of the family, which was nice. They knew Peggy well. They knew like she was a well-rounded character. They didn't think there was anything like weird going on. The psychiatrist didn't open his mouth. Okay. He was purely there because he had to be there. Huh. Okay. Yeah. But one thing that they all agreed upon was that the family needed a break. And so the social workers said that they would arrange a trip to the seaside for the half term when John comes back from super secret spy school or wherever he was. Hogwarts. That's what he said last time. <laughs> He's training to be the next James Bond now. So the lulling activity was over, though. Furniture was being thrown, bedclothes ripped from the beds and all sorts of random bumps and knocks and bangs throughout the night. New phenomena had also been added to the ever-growing list of party tricks too, such as random pools of water showing up in the kitchen, just like in the Monk of Pontefract mm -hmm. case. These pools also had the that same strangely perfect edging, which couldn't be recreated, like unless it was poured super carefully from like a minimal height. You know what I mean? Like directly yeah. onto the floor. But like they even came out in shapes like they said one of these pools was in the shape of a man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they and Morris and Guy tried to recreate it and couldn't. Mm -hmm. Janet was also starting to be affected in school. Her chair would start to jump, as she said, and something would grab her arm while she was trying to write in her notebooks. So it was literally ruining her schoolwork. Yeah. Like her nice, neat handwriting would just be scribbled all over. Yeah, it was trolling her. Literally, yeah. 
And again, this stuff wasn't really scaring her, but it was getting really fucking annoying. Right. One night, however, as Janet was trying to get to sleep, she felt like someone was trying to smother her. She said, quote, there was an old man sitting on that chair, putting his hands on my face. I couldn't breathe. She was scared that time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But again, that chair that she's talking about is the one that we'll there'll be pictures this week. It is right beside her bed. That's the one that, that was keeps getting thrown over. Yeah, and the one that was balancing on her door or some shit. Yeah, 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 that same one, yeah. Another time she described seeing an old man beside her bed who looked like Vic Nottingham's dead dad, Vic Nottingham being the neighbor. The strange thing was a whole bunch of people would go on to see a similar old man apparition. So I mean, old white men like a lot of them do look alike, you know what I mean? So <laughs> savage it is that's a hot take yeah hot take. (laughs) (laughs) but feeling kind of hopeless in terms of actually fixing the family's problem guy and morris decided it was time to try and make contact with this thing guy tried to do the whole calling out thing with it one evening but got absolutely nowhere things were just being thrown around the bedroom so much that he took everything out of the room except for the beds that the family were in and an old disused gas fire that was literally a part of the wall. Guy headed home about 11pm when the activity had finally quietened down. And it looked like the family were going to be able to get some sleep. But by the time he got home, Morris was already calling his house phone. The bottom part of the fireplace, a heavy, sharp-cornered iron grill, had shot out across the room and landed on Billy's pillow, barely missing his head. Purposefully, I would assume... Like in other stories where it's more of a display of power, like, this is what I could do. Like, I could fuck you up. Yeah, like, I could quite literally kill one of your kids, like, if I wanted to, you know what I mean? Yeah. What a dick. Yeah. What a ghost dick. (laughs) And a couple of days after this, that 50-pound fireplace was literally ripped from the wall where it was cemented in place. What the fuck? The only thing it didn't break was the gas pipe because it was a gas fire. But that was pulled out and bent. And again, I feel like this is just another display of I could have broken this gas pipe too. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Made it look like an accident. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Guy tried one more time to make contact on the evening of October 28th. As he was explaining the one knock for yes, two for no thing, the knocking just started at random. And he was trying to be respectfully stern with his whatever it was. But... It kind of just came out sounding a little bit like a reserved English Zach Baggins. He was getting annoyed. (laughs) He was getting annoyed with this thing, blatantly mocking him and said. Yes, give me the impression. Oh, God. Come on. (laughs) Don't you realize that you are dead? (laughs) Ooh, tell him. Tell him. You tell him. You tell that ghost dick. Fucking guy is not fucking around, man. (laughs) But as he said this, the family who were in the bedroom directly above him were trying to settle down for the night. They just got attacked by everything and anything. Teddy bears, slippers, dolls, cushions. The only one who wasn't affected was young Billy, who appeared to have slept through the whole thing. And he would just go to sleep with his dressing gown wrapped around his head. Apparently, this was just his sleeping uniform from now on. Okay. Like, well... I can't hear it. I can't see it. My head's protected. So, fuck it. Like, <laughs> and one of my favorite quotes from Guy was something like, I couldn't fucking find it when I went looking for it, but it was like, 
what this family could sleep through never ceased to amaze me. <laughs> <laughs> Desperate times, you know. I know, yeah. I'm surprised they were able. Yeah, I'm right. That's true. I'm surprised they were able to. But thank God they were able to. Well, it's a something that I'll get back to later because sometimes it, it was, like the the stuff that they were sleeping through was almost scary that they didn't wake up. Oh. You know what I mean. Almost like they were being kept asleep. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, the following day, October 29th, they all went off in their hollybops and had a lovely week by the sea. The only strange thing that happened <laughs> was one night Janet was woken up by the sound of someone imitating a dog barking in the room. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Why is that so much scarier that than would like be a me. ghost dog? Bark, bark. <laughs> yeah. Bark. bark. Or bark, bark. bork, bork. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't think it was weird. She just thought it was Johnny messing with her. And Johnny thought she was messing with him. So that was it. They kind of didn't really think about it again. On the 5th of November, they came back and went straight to the Burkham household to spend the afternoon telling them all about their holiday. And they had even brought back sticks of rock for Morris and Guy. Lovely. Mom, did you hear that? Sticks of rock. That is all. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> She's the only other person in the world and I know that likes them. <laughs> As soon as they got back to their own house, the activity picked up right where it left off. And this time, Morris was going to try and talk to it. Because for some reason, it preferred Morris to Guy. Hmm. Yeah, and it like, from start to finish, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And as soon as he called out, they established some sort of intelligent connection. Because one of the first questions was, what's five plus five? And they got ten knocks back. Oh, wow. Yeah, like instantly. The following maths question was answered with bop, ba, da, bop, 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 bop. Oh, for real? So it's like, yeah, and that's how I wrote it in my notes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was like, I'm here. What, like, what do you want kind of thing? Like, don't mess around here. Like, yeah. He asked, did you die in this house? Yes. Will you go away now? No. How many years did you live here? And eventually he would ask, like, you know, more than 10 and it would knock twice, whatever. They came to the answer of 53 years ago. It said it died in 1977 or 1976. And then it just seemed to get bored. So throughout this session, slippers and stuff like that had been getting thrown like here and there. And then it just started doing the same like nonsensical knocking. Like whenever uh, Morris asked something, it would just do that same like. Yeah. Whatever. But when Morris asked out of frustration... Are you having a game with me? <laughs> Love that. This was shortly followed by Morris exclaiming, Oh, crumbs! As a cardboard box containing small cushions was thrown with force into his face. Uh, <laughs> this thing literally hit him on the nose. Like, Jesus. He's like... Like, that reaction is like fucking Sesame Street. <laughs> I know, yeah. No, I, I'm telling you, Morris is my fucking hero. Um, But the, it's should be known that the box was thrown with such force that they actually heard it making passage through the air. Oh, damn. Yeah, they could not recreate this. Like, they tried to launch this box from, like, different angles, different ways. They wow. could not recreate the speed at which it hit him in the face. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That's and the one detail said, I forgot. Oh, oh, crumbs. Right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> so by this time, the whole family were experiencing all sorts of things daily, Obviously, the stuff being thrown about, but they were hearing random noises apart from the regular knocks, like 
Footsteps, moans, growls, whistles, people talking, and they were seeing shadowy figures on the stairs, faces in their windows, and something that always seemed to be just out of the direct line of sight. For me, it was the faces in the windows that freaked me out. I was like... That is fucking weird. That's an awful thing. Yeah, it is. But even little Billy, who, like I mentioned earlier, didn't really seem too interested in this he was like nope i'm just gonna go to sleep fuck it (laughs) he actually got such a fright one day that he cried for over half an hour after seeing the face of an old man with big white teeth by the wall just staring at him now i don't know if the face was just floating or coming out of the wall but either way no thank you no absolutely not and like billy's only seven at this point you know what i mean yeah so on november 10th And again, I know I'm flying through this, but like I said, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So on November 10th, Janet's 12th birthday, Guy had arranged for a physicist to come to the house with a big old fashioned piece of equipment to see if there was any correlation between the activity and the level of magnetism or electromagnetism or something. Science. Yeah, science. So like... Most 12-year-olds might be happier with, like, a magician coming to the house where they're <laughs> like, we got you a physicist. <laughs> and you'll be happy with it. Yeah, yeah. You will love it. <laughs> and uh, the actual name of the piece of equipment was a magnetometer. Bowsers. it's spelled magnetometer. Nice. And that's how I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I, he was even like, we went for a drink in the pub first and we had some difficulty trying to convince the landlord that it wasn't, in fact, a bomb. we promise yeah yeah yeah. either way it turned out there was actually a correlation between the level of magnet magnetism or or whatever but that's not even like that's not the interesting part that's just the science before (laughs) they even got to the house the couch in the living room was completely flipped over and like not just tipped backwards but like somersaulted okay and this is like the 70s these cows these couches (laughs) Way more than a car back then, like, you know what I mean? Living room cows. Living room cows, yeah. <laughs> Everywhere in the 70s. To keep the grass in the living room short. <laughs> <laughs> but after the couch was flipped over, Janet was pulled out of her chair by the cushion underneath her. What the right? fuck? So, like, it's so many things that are like, oh, it's just the kids jumping out of the chair. like. Nah, bruh. But the cu- cushion was still underneath her when she landed eight feet away. Holy shit. And this was in front of Morris and her uncle, John. Yeah. And John was like... Hilarious. Typically... <laughs> <laughs> like, that was hilarious. No, John seemed like a very quiet kind of guy. And he was like, well, let's all go into the kitchen and have a quick cup of tea. <laughs> Settle down like after this. But when Guy and Eduardo, the Argentinian physicist, mm. when they left, Margaret was heading downstairs to use the loo when she suddenly called out, I can't move. Something's holding me. And Morris and Peggy next door ran to see what was wrong with her and found her, quote, standing on the staircase on one leg, the other outstretched behind her. What the fuck? On the stairs. Like something's got her leg. Something's got her leg and she wasn't even holding on to like the rail, the banister or anything. Dude. Quote, Gross took her hand and pulled, but she was rooted to the spot. Peggy then took her other hand and tugged hard, half expecting Margaret to crash down on top of them. But she stayed as rigid as a statue, still balanced on one leg. Finally, Gross managed to twist her sideways, whereupon she suddenly returned to normal and was able to walk down the stairs. She was defying the laws of gravity. That's wild. Gross told Guy later. (laughs) But like, even just, can you imagine 
two people swinging out of one little girl balanced on one foot on a staircase. Yeah. Something is not right in this house. Yeah. It's the plumbing or something. I don't know. <laughs> the plumbing. So Guy had suggested to regular Peggy to start leaving pens and pieces of paper about the house just to see if anything would respond. So a couple of days after Janet's birthday, she simply said out loud, leave me a message so I can help you. <laughs> if positive what if if possible leave me a message so i can help you if possible without knocking also apologies to our english contingent because i did get some light-hearted uh but probably very serious you're really butchering these accents <laughs> <laughs> so sorry gordy i enjoy them they're for me <laughs> five minutes later she found a scrap of paper on top of the fridge with this, mes- with this message written on it. I will stay in this house. Do not read this to anyone else or I will retaliate. What the fuck? All in capitals. <laughs> <laughs> it was not written on the same piece of paper as the notebook she had left out, though. They would later come to find out that it was actually from one of Janet's school books. But almost as soon as she found that one, she found another note on the living room table which said, can I have a tea bag? <laughs> Again, all in capitals. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Peggy complied. She was like, I don't know why, but sure. She left the tea bag on the kitchen table and within a few minutes, another one appeared next to it. But the second one was all crumpled and torn. The fuck? Yeah, I don't know. And then while all this was going on, Peggy's ex-husband showed up. Oh, hell no. Well, so like he would call around most Saturdays to drop off like the child maintenance cash or check uh-huh. or whatever and it said in the book as well that like the kids would actively try to be out of the house when he would call over like they nobody well, yeah because everybody fucking hates this guy yeah he's a dick <laughs> so anyway he shows up and uh actually you just read my notes it said here he that was a, a dick, dick. Yeah. <laughs> he's a flesh dick unlike the ghost dick in the house <laughs> flesh dick yeah <laughs> He condescendingly asked Peggy, is your little ghost still here? Fuck you, okay? Yeah. And without thinking, and in pure frustration, she showed him the note, which specifically said, do not read this to anyone else or I will retaliate. She then apologized out loud and said that she had forgotten the second half of the message. (laughs) Anyway, when Douchey McDoucheson left, (laughs) Peggy found a third note on the living room table and this one read, a misunderstanding. Do not do it again. I know who that was. Wow. So, very understanding. Yeah, sympathetic ghost dick. Yeah, he's like, no, do you know what? That guy is a dick. (laughs) He's a bigger dick than me. Yeah, I'm an annoying dick. He's like a hateful dick. Yeah, yeah. So, these are one of the... What a toxic relationship. (laughs) Like, it's a toxic triangle romance. (laughs) This is the ghost I'm having an affair with, kind of. Yeah. the, The new ghost stepdad situation. Anyway, these are... Or this whole like situation is one of the more like suspicious pieces of evidence from the whole case as the paper was torn out of Janet's school books and the writing apparently looked very much like Janet's own handwriting. Oh. Yeah. Also, neither Guy nor Morris were there when this was going on. So we only have regular Peggy's word for it. Yeah. But in saying that, like obviously she said, no, I, I don't think that the kids had time to do this yeah while i was there like i knew where everybody was Mm -hmm. and like if the notes like when guy left the recorder 
recording mm-hmm. without their knowledge. Peggy's notes always lined up. Do you know what I mean? It, it was never yeah. like anything blatant or anything. So we don't we don't know basically, but they are one of the more questionable pieces of evidence. Okay. The activity, like I said earlier, it was constantly progressing and nighttime routines were just becoming disastrous. Not only were they not moisturizing regularly, but the girls, <laughs> Janet more so than you. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I do because my nieces don't. It's just They just don't do that. Well, anyway, Janet more so than... Well, they need to get better about it. <laughs> yeah, everybody, go moisturize. Go moisturize. Pause, drink water. Go moisturize, drink water, come back to us. But no, Janet more so than Margaret... But they were getting thrown from their beds like seven or eight times a night. And not like just little pushes off the mattress either. Like they were being launched across the room. And Janet even landed on top of the radio, which was on top of a chest of drawers, (sighs) which was on the other side of the room. Right. Now, again, this was one of those cases where a guy just had to take Peggy's word for it. She all of them were sleeping in the room most nights at this stage. But this wouldn't be the only time that that happened either. So no wonder they weren't fucking moisturizing. They had bigger problems. Yeah, right. No, my mattress keeps throwing me across the fucking room. <laughs> yeah. But Guy got Janet to sleep in a different room on her own one night to see if this would make a difference. And it did in terms of like she managed to fall asleep without being thrown out of the bed. And so did Margaret. But then he noticed because remember, he would just stand there and wait until they fought, fell asleep. Like this is one of the most awkward things for me. Yeah. OK, good night, Janet. Good night, Guy. Okay, Janet, good night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how long did this go on yeah. for? Still here, guy? Yes. <laughs> good night, Janet. <laughs> but no, so he would be sitting there, like, watching them sleep. Say good night to me like that. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll that's do it. I'll how I want you to do it. Good night, don't say. It's lovely. So after a little while, Janet did get to sleep or whatever. But then she seemed, Guy noticed that she seemed to be having a nightmare. She's moaning and whimpering and just like general restlessness. And when he went into the other room, he found that Margaret was going through the exact same thing. Um, Almost in tandem. Yeah, simultaneously. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Around 10 days after returning from their nice little seaside break, because remember, like most of these tiny little like paragraphs that I've written are condensed from like whole fucking days. And every day was like a new... Uh, kerfuffle yeah basically so like around that? i'm like really digging that word now kerfuffle that's one of my favorite words i love yeah. that word nice goes well with the story too so around 10 days anyway after returning from their nice seaside break peggy collapsed with exhaustion we've said this before on probably every story that we've covered like deep dives specifically but if you miss one night's sleep you feel like shit yeah you do so now imagine after going through Weeks and weeks of non-stop broken sleep at best. High alert, adrenaline sapping experiences. Like you're going to suffer mentally and physically. Oh, yeah. So the council arranged to have the kids. I guess she had like she must have been working in close contact with these social workers or something. Anyway, they arranged to have the kids sent to some home run by nuns, which to me sounds like the scariest part of this whole story. But apparently it wasn't all that bad. It was like a, I guess, like a respite home or a respite center or something yeah. like that. While regular Peggy, Reg Peg, if you will. Reg Peg. Reg Peg. 
Uh, <laughs> she would get some much needed rest at her brother's house, the Burkhams, just up the road. But funnily enough, Guy actually brought a medium friend of his to the house while it was vacant. And even though she was eight, like when they first met up, these guys were from America and they were just in London for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So he met them at the hotel and the lady was like, oh, have you got anything on you that was in the house? Yeah. Like for me to hold. So he gave her, her his notebook. Okay. And she just held it. She didn't open it. Okay. But from this notebook, she was able to uh, describe the exterior of the house give Whoa. the address yeah like not the number but the the name of the street and even the names of some of the family just by holding the book holy shit yeah but when she got to the house she said it felt completely empty of anything no spirits not even like residual stuff that she would just normally pick up like on in passing like mm-hmm. she just felt nothing whatsoever the kids were due to come back from the respite house on saturday november 26th and that morning at about 2 a.m., the Nottinghams were awoken by loud knocking coming from the house next door. So the house had been completely silent. And even this medium was like, no, nope, nothing here. Twelve hours before the kids got back, it just erupted huh. again. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so it's it really strange. likes fucking with the kids. Yeah. But like the fact that because so it's like, OK, the kids are the facilitators. But now there's and like the activity follows the kids. But now the house is just completely empty and it's still, do you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. It's like awaiting their return. I don't know. It's just so fucking weird. I wonder what it does while they're if gone. It's me, like in the yeah. spare time. I don't fucking know. But again, like, I feel like all I do now is quote or reference back to other deep dives that we did. But remember in like the demon of Brownsville, the entity was like living under the stairs from what they could gather. Okay. And he said something similar. He was like, he would just go back to his like, oh, home. You know yeah, what I mean? He was yeah. like, chilling there. He had, when like, he was fucking with the uh, the little cord for the light bulb. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and they now. found like random like playing cards and stuff. So maybe he was just playing solitaire. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, the kids went straight to the Burkhams when they did come back from the respite house. And the activity just kicked off there. So John, the uncle, was pulled from his chair. Plates were thrown and everything. And... Guy suggested that night that they would leave Margaret to spend the night in the Burkham's house with Billy and Peggy and Janet would go back to their house just to see how that would play out. Like, will this help at all? It didn't. Margaret experienced some poltergeist activity, like her doll was thrown across the room and stuff like that. And while Guy was trying to debunk a shaking chest of drawers, Peggy just appeared back in the doorway and... They could hear Janet's screams from six houses away with all the doors closed in both houses, no windows open. She was having some sort of fit. What the fuck? Yeah, so she was going like ham strength of a thousand bears. Yeah. Screaming, as Guy said, like nothing he had ever heard in any horror film. Damn, like inhuman. Dude, that's crazy. And one thing that she kept screaming over and over again was, Mamai, Mamai. Right? Shit. Is it like crying for her I own got mom? Chills. Yeah. Fuck. Sorry, I hope everybody else got chills. <laughs> anyway. I got tingles like ASMR. <laughs> I got chills. Anyway. Morris and Graham, the photographer, they were struggling to hold her down like when Guy and Peggy got back to the house. And she had already hit them like a couple of times while they were trying to like catch her fucking arms. Yeah. Like, catch these. They were catching hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Janet's hands. 
So then when they managed to hold her down, she was trying to bite them in between screaming. Yeah. Like she had gone fucking feral for want of a better That's word. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Peggy next door, because remember, she's the one with the phone. Regular Peggy didn't have a phone at this point. Mm -hmm. She calls for a doctor. And when he eventually arrived, like a half an hour later, he gave Janet a dose of Valium, which seemed to do the trick. Again, she's 12. And like we've seen her pictures, I'd say she maybe weighs 70 pounds. Yeah. Wet. Yeah. Like Like soaking wet, yeah. And so exhausted, they all went back downstairs. They left Janet, hopefully, to sleep for the rest of the night. And about 45 minutes later, they heard the all too familiar crash of Janet being thrown from her bed. Because now it, it it's, happens every night. They know the specific sounds like she's just being thrown That's bodily. That's sad for her. Yeah. And when they went up to check, she was still asleep, but she was not in bed. She was perched on top of the radio, on top of the chest of drawers. What the fuck? Just like Peggy had described previously. Only this time, Graham... The photographer. Uh-huh. She took he took a picture. He took a picture. I think it's one of the most famous pictures from the case, honestly. I haven't fucking seen it. Google it. Google it. So the following night, it was almost the same. Although less intense, but it went on for way longer. It was like two almost three hours or something. And more screaming for Mumai. And Peggy even said, like, she has only ever called her Mum. Not mm -hmm. mummy, not mom, like no, just mom. That's all she like ever called her. even as a kid? Even as a baby, yeah. Suddenly she got out of bed and started walking around like with her arms outstretched and her eyes closed, which sounds like such a fucking like movie trope or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's what a kid would do if you said to them, oh, pretend you're in a trance. Yeah. You know? But guy walked up to her, pulled her fucking eyelids open and shone a flashlight in her eye, which they love doing. And there was no reaction. Suddenly, she just stopped and clear as day said, where's Gober? He'll kill you. The fuck? Yeah, but not Gozer, like the medium had said earlier. Yeah. So again, this is another point in the story when skeptics go, ah, see, she's just a kid. She heard the, the word wrong. But she still appeared to be completely unconscious. Like, mm -hmm. Meanwhile... Margaret was in the other bed and she suddenly starts complaining that she's feeling pins pricking the soles of her feet. And all night, the two of them were getting thrown from their beds. But curiously enough, even though they were being thrown like a good distance, they never seemed to be hurt when they were thrown from the beds. I see. Another doctor was called that night and Janet was again heavily sedated. The very next morning, she became so bad that they actually called for an ambulance. And they got her to the hospital, they got her calmed down, and the psychiatrist there said, there's nothing wrong with her. She just needs to go home and rest. But th this is a point of contention for Guy and Morris in the book, because they're like three different doctors, three different nights, three different days rather, and three different diagnoses. diagnoses. And he, like, the first one said, possibly schizophrenic. The next one said, like, hysteria. And then this guy was like, nothing. Yeah, stop feeding her full of ghosty shit and leave her alone. Don't give her candy. Yeah, that kind of deal. But as soon as she stepped foot in the house, she had another one of these violent fits. Yeah. Now, they managed to get her sedated because the second doctor had left pills for her. And when Morris arrived that evening, she was sleeping restlessly on the sofa. By 11 that night, all three kids were in bed when they heard the usual thud. Morris goes up to check almost like routinely 
But this time he couldn't find Janet anywhere. Eventually he shone his flashlight under the bed and he found her wedged between the metal frame and the floor lying face down underneath her bed. Jesus. Yeah. He managed with great difficulty to pull her totally limp body back out from underneath the bed, lift her up and put her back in and took her in. And as soon as he left, it happened again. Wow. She was wedged back underneath the bed again. Yeah. Now, I don't really remember the movie that much, The Conjuring 2. Mm -hmm. But if they didn't use that as a horrific fucking scene, like, why didn't they? You know what I mean? That, again, that was one of the ones that got me. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, just the fear. Can you imagine, like, looking under the bed and seeing that? Like, yeah. And it it, it was said that she was, like, contorted under there. Oh, my God. As if she had been, like, squeezed under the bed. Like, someone just shoved her in there. Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Oh, never say that again. (laughs) (laughs) all night she was being thrown to different parts of the room and each time morris would check like check her eyes and she was seemingly still unconscious he'd find her in the corner just in the middle of the floor like all over the place and i think he said like it it was like 50 times or something I, i could be wrong that could have been another night but like a ridiculous amount and again margaret and billy slept through the whole thing in the same room. Mm-hmm. So the following day, Guy had two friends, Louise and Elsie. From his time in Brazil, he had met them there. They came to the house. And he said himself that the timing was just like mental, right? These two were literally passing through London for the day. I don't even know if they were spending the night in London, but they were just on their way to Germany. And yet here they were helping out. They arrived at the house at 4.55 that evening and Janet was sedated but still restlessly sleeping, like fighting the sedation is what it kind of seemed like. Mm -hmm. She was on the couch when they came in and these two were spiritual healers who worked for the Brazilian government. So apparently that that was the thing at the time, like the Brazilian like health service had a spiritual healer department. Interesting. Yeah, something along those lines. I could be wrong. I'm just going off this book. Maybe it's still a thing. I don't know. Either way, as soon as they walked in, they saw Janet. They recognized something was going on and they got to work. They didn't even take off their coats. Guy was outraged. (laughs) Take off their coats. Straight to business. My goodness. Um, But Janet was trying to hit Lewis. His name is Lewis, but it's spelled with a Z. So I don't know. It's like throwing me off completely. Louise. It's fine. Yes. Lewis. Lewis, let's just call him Lewis. Lewis, I'm sorry, Lewis. So Janet was trying to hit Lewis and everything, but she was still sedated. So she was like feebly trying to punch him and mm-hmm. stuff. And he would just take her hand and hold it. And he, he sat with her for a little while. And then the two healers went upstairs alone to see if they could like, just see what they picked up in the rooms and whatever. And as they were upstairs, Janet went into a fit. But again, because she was so heavily sedated, she was writhing around literally as if she was in slow motion on the floor. So she That's was doing the same. so scary. So scary. She was like scooching under the, the living room table, trying to kick it over in slow motion. Like guy yeah. had to get on the table. And when they came down to see what was going on, she again saying, mamai, mamai over and over again. And Elsie said, That's what kids in Brazil call their mothers. Oh, God. This is the Brazilian word for mummy, like for uh... mom. So Louis, it was like foreboding. Right? 
Uh, chills, dude. I'm yeah. getting chills everywhere. So Louise sat on the floor and held her firmly and shouted quite forcefully at her, saying, all right, that's enough. Go he out. Like, he was like, stop, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> now he said, all right, that's enough. Go out. Go out and leave her now. And just like that, Janet came back to herself for the first time in four days. Oh, my God. This random visit, this random calling from Mumai in Brazilian, <sighs> seemingly over. And with that, Louise and or Louis and Elsie went on their merry way to Germany. Fucking hell, man. Janet was left to sleep off the drugs and the whole house enjoyed a restful night. The trauma for the mom. Wait for it. Oh, my God, that poor woman. The next morning, she was still out of it, right, according to regular Peggy. Mm -hmm. So she didn't go to school. Guy actually carried her downstairs and put her on the couch just to chill out for the day. And she was sitting there peacefully, and she reached over and grabbed a notepad and some markers and started to draw frantically, seemingly unaware of what she was doing. And the reason I included this is because it is a freaky fucking story anyway, but unbeknownst... To the Hodgson family, Lewis, the healer, was also a renowned medium and he was well known for his detailed drawings depicting scenes or messages seemingly from beyond and he would go into this trance-like state and draw just like Janet did now. Wow. Yeah. This is a quote from the book. The drawings were not very nice. The first... <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> these, these are shit, Janet. Savage. <laughs> The drawings were not very nice. The first was of a woman with blood pouring out of her throat and the name Watson, that's a pseudonym, written in large letters at the bottom of the page. The blood was slashed onto the paper in red ink. The others were all in the theme of blood, knives and death, one just consisting of the word blood written several times over the page. The drawings had nothing in common with those of Luis Gasparetto except that they were made in a kind of trance and were done very quickly, and that Janet, like Louise, had no idea afterwards what she had drawn. Mrs. Hodgson had the presence of mind to remove each drawing as Janet made it, and she gave them all to Morris later that day. Janet never saw them or knew anything about them. She never asked about, like, you know I mean? she just never mentioned it again. She's yeah. like, okay, this is, this is a thing this now, and that's over. done. Um, as Louise was... As Lewis was leaving, he informed Guy that Janet was a, quote, unconscious medium and that she needed help to learn how to use this gift or, or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And he said how dangerous it could be if like if you if this goes unchecked, basically. Yeah. You know, she will suffer great consequences, mm -hmm. something a lot of that. Ilk. And in the meantime, Elsie actually left. She just borrowed Guy's notebook for a minute mm -hmm. and was like scribbling away. And she left him just this like detailed account of how she had seen Janet in a medieval past life doing terrible things to all of the people that she knew and that she was now paying for it in this lifetime. Whoa. So conflicting information all over this story. Like, cause again, mm -hmm. I have left some out, but there's like, we'll get into it in next week's episode. There's multiple different kind of like character profiles almost mm -hmm. whether they're entities or, or what there's like different stories different aspects different versions and then like even just down to the gozer and gober thing you know what i mean yeah. it's like is that just janet 
being a kid and trying to fucking take this one step further, like enjoying the fucking the attention, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Yeah, that is all. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a tarot card for us? Yeah, I do. It's a good one. Oh, and actually, if you're still listening, you should be. Let us know what you think, especially about whatever I was talking about. <laughs> no, like your opinion on the whole mental health and haunting situation. Like definitely let us know your opinion. We want to know. So today is, uh, I, I say I, I say a good card because it's like a fun card. Okay. You know, so today's card is the sun, which, as you know, is one of the major arcana cards. Of course I know. <laughs> of course. Today's a day for feeling good, having fun, and being happy. Think about what activities make you feel the most content and fulfilled, and do that. Maybe it's reading a book in a sunny spot, spending time with a dear friend, creating art. It might be helpful. Uh, it might be helpful to think back to what you loved doing as a child. Have a wonderful day. The sun is a card of light. When this card shows up, it's a time to reveal everything. You will benefit by sharing your true feelings and thoughts. You will have greater clarity and understanding. It's a time to celebrate your accomplishments and share them with the world. Don't be afraid to shine. Let your inner child show. Be playful, creative, and curious. Align your actions and words with your authentic self. Do what makes you feel excited and warm inside. This card can represent a burst of energy and vitality. As an outcome card, it is a yes. Well, that sounds very positive. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, a nice it's a good change. one. <laughs> actually, the, fir- the first couple of lines there, just I thought this was going to be a Christmas song or something. <laughs> People having... Lots of fun. <laughs> so, yeah, today is a day to have fun. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go eat. <laughs> we're going to go eat vegan egg rolls. Yeah. Day I know. I, I, I've definitely dope. felt the energy of the car today, and I think it'll show in the videos that I recorded. But I was like, what is this? Like, I feel like <laughs> I even said it in the video. I was like, I may seem different to you today, and I feel a little manic. And I think that's okay. I think I like this version of myself. It was the coffee I made you this morning. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. Um, yeah, please don't forget to rate, review us. Any new listeners that we may have picked up because of this, welcome. Hope you enjoyed. Let us if know. If you're new. Yep. Anyways. Anyway. All right, guys. Have a great weekend or rest of your weekend. Enjoy your week, whatever day you're listening to this. Bye. Bye. Okay, good night, Janet. Good night, guys. <laughs> okay, Janet, good night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how long did this go on yeah. for? Still here, guy? Yes. <laughs> good night, Janet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so he would be sitting there, like, watching them sleep. Say good night to me like that. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll that's do it. That's what I want to. you to do. Good night, <laughs> um, It's lovely. <laughs>